0: that's uh, our message to all of us that last line there's always hope for us thank you Brian can we thank Brian yeah there's always hope in Jesus so let's go to that name Jesus and let's ask him for hope that he meet us right now Jesus we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for how you're alive and how you speak truth And speak a new name over each one of us. Um, Lord, I know you have everything. And what do we give someone who has everything? We give you our lives. We live into that new name. And we, in Jesus' name, live out that purpose for which you put us on this planet. To bring your kingdom. So we ask for that. And I thank you for that last line. There's always hope pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What's in a name? What's in a name? In India, most of us know it's built on a caste system. Then beneath the caste system, there's what's called outcasts or untouchables. And at the bottom of the untouchable group beneath the caste system is a group of people called the Dalits. We're only allowed occupations that are regarded as ritually impure in the country. Uh, By that I mean they butcher uh, animals. They remove dead animals. They clean the latrines. They clean the sewers. This is what's available only for the Dalits. Philip Prasad was born in Untouchable in India. And through a series of miracles, he came to Christ and then came across the ocean and got his higher education in America, had it made here, and went back to India because he felt the call of God to start a ministry to the Dalits. And in his lifetime, he died a few years ago, in his lifetime, he saw more than 2 million Dalits come to know Jesus Christ. His earthly secret, there's a lot of spiritual there he can't take credit for, but his earthly secret that he would point to, renaming, renaming. See, Prasad established the church on three sacraments. Uh, Like us, he had the two sacraments. There was baptism. When people came to Christ, they were baptized. And there was the Lord's Supper celebrated on a weekly basis for him. But then he added a third sacrament, renaming. You see, Dalits are given degrading names when they're born names like donkey names like flea names like filthy imagine being called and being reminded that you aren't even worth living when anyone calls your name but when deletes come to christ the churches have this renaming sacrament right after baptism what happens is a delete comes out of the water and says their got their earthly given name and it's written down and then that name before them is burned and then the deletes come to the Bible where the Bible is open and whoever leads them to Christ or baptizes them gives them a new biblical name that they take for the rest of their lives. Or a name of honor like beloved of God or daughter of the king. Names they embrace for the rest of their lives. And from that point on, as they go about their tasks, whenever they're asked what caste they're in, they say Christian. I wonder who's named you. You? I wonder who names you. I wonder what names you. I'm not talking about your parents and your name on your birth certificate. I'm talking about an experience or a person you had a clash with or someone uh, or something you build your identity on. Who names you? Who's named you? What names you? We're looking at season in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And as we've looked at all Advent long, the Lord showed up, Brian read it. And here's the verse I want to camp out on today. The Lord showed up in verse 21 and said to Joseph, you will give birth, uh, Your wife will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name, what? Come on, church. You're to give him the name Jesus, right? In essence, he's saying, I will not let you name this child. I named this child, we talked about this last week, and here's the name you're going to give him. Most of us gloss over that point, that part of the story, but it's critical in the life of Jesus, and it's critical to our lives too, that he has that name. The whole purpose of Matthew's account of the birth of Christ is about the name. It's the whole reason it's in there. No one's allowed to name Jesus. Only God gives him a name. So I want to explore with you what was in the naming in Jesus' day and how is it relevant to us and how in the world can all oppression cease? In Jesus' name. Let's look at that. Page one of your notes. You got them? Here's what took place in the first century in the naming process. The whole purpose uh, in the first century kids didn't get their names because their parents liked the sound of it. It's not why a kid got a name. In the first century, kids didn't get a name because there was a famous basketball player that they were named after, or a famous movie star. And I'm not belittling that. In my case, I was named after my uncle. Uh, that didn't happen in the first century instead in the Bible your name was your identity don't miss this please don't miss this the deepest secret of who you are is locked up in your name in the first century the naming event always had two aspects and we will keep Matthew 121 you'll see them there and here they are on the on the page one the first aspect of the naming event was the source of the name whoever gave you your name was your authority And that's why God said to Joseph and Mary, You don't name this child. Because the moment he's born, the second he breathes earthly breath, he'll already be older than you are, Joseph and Mary. You will never have authority over this child. He will be born, and from the start as a baby, he'll have authority over you. It's always been the case in the Bible. Remember the Genesis account? Remember, God creates Adam. And then God calls him and names him because he's his authority and then God says to Adam you name all the creatures of the earth remember that why did God do that because he ran out of names he ran out of ideas no he was making a statement Adam you have authority over creation humans you have authority over creation I am giving you my authority over all of this so what we have in Matthew 1 is God showing up and teaching us one more time in the Bible Jesus Christ is not a mere human being. From the start, he's God in human flesh. No one has the right to name Christ. And we try to in the church. I try to as a follower of his. I try to name him every time I belittle sin. I try to name him every time I try to redefine what's right and what's wrong. I try to name him every time I say, God... I know what it says in your word, but here's what I think. What I'm doing is renaming Christ and putting my name on him. We all want to form a God in our image. We have it all backwards. Life comes when God forms us in his image, and we live into those definitions. Life comes from that, men and women. That was all last week. We talked about that. Was the hymn say, was the carol, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see? Hail, the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So the first aspect of the naming is authority. That's why God would not let uh, uh, Joseph or Mary name him, because they weren't his authority. Second aspect was, is uh, content of the name. It defines your purpose. Think about it. Mary and Joseph are finite. They had no earthly idea of the infinite purpose Jesus would have walking the planet, right? How could they name him? cuz the name in the biblical times gave you your purpose. They didn't know his purpose, only God knew his purpose. In biblical times the content tells you what you're here to do. And look what it says about Jesus. You'll give him the name Jesus and God lays it out right there. Why? The word Jesus was a Hellenized Greek form of a Hebrew word. I'll give you the Hebrew word. Yeshua, Yeshua. Ya, Ye, shortened version of Yahweh the name of covenant name of God, Shua, from the verb form, saves or salvation. God in that one name, and let me tell you this. I'm sorry, that'd sound bad. Let me, let me just inform you. Uh, there are over 200 titles in the Bible of Jesus. We see it one in Matthew 1, right? Emmanuel, that wasn't his name, it's a title. Over 200 times we're given titles of who Jesus was. There's only one name given to him though. And it's summed up. His life purpose is summed up here. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Now, if you press into that, that is encouraging and indicting at the same time. I mean, we love the Christmas carols. I, I mean, this sanctuary looks amazing. It's so pretty. We put the lights up, and it's it's just gorgeous and comfortable. But really, the name Yeshua is comforting. Someone has come to our rescue. But it's indicting. Each one of us, each one of us here, from God's perspective, is in a dire situation where nothing short of God unzipping time, stepping in. To time from eternity and rescuing you will remedy our situation. When do we use the word save in our vocabulary? A person lost at sea needs saving. A plane crashes, people need saving. A person who stopped breathing needs saving. People, as we learned this month, unfortunately, and from Oakland, trapped in a burning building need saving people held hostage need saving do you see how strong this language is God is saying I love you and when we hear the name Jesus we take comfort Wow he came to save me but it's an indictment Wow something in me is so desperate that God had to save me it's amazing to me Jesus arrival is a clear statement that we are lost spiritually dead trapped held hostage and nothing short of god himself would remedy it i I was crying in the other service because i I followed gavin and i read their story gavin and hannah on paper but seeing it lived out and i just thought what kind of world have we created where six-year-old boys are objectified and called racial slurs what kind of world have we created we're here on the peninsula We're such a progressive society where someone playing tennis can be called out by their skin color. And what an amazing God that he didn't say, You made your bed, now you sleep in it. Fine, you don't want me in your life? This is the result. People are objectified, people are oppressed, people are held in bondage. It just tore me up, and I'm like, God, there's times I just go and i contribute to this right i'm not pointing at the world saying i have nothing to do with it but there's times i just go oh i don't want to live in this world i'm not talking of like suicidal but i'm just like i'm so torn up how can we be so sophisticated and so progressive and stories like gavin's and Hannah's still happen jesus came to remedy that from the inside out so what's in the name so much is in a name so much is in his name and jesus knew his identity from the start jesus never 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 suffered from an identity crisis he stepped into an oppressive culture right he stepped into a a religious oppressive culture he was killed by the religious leaders he stepped into a politically oppressive culture he was um in an occupied country Uh, He stepped into a physically oppressive culture, a gender oppressive culture. Jesus did more than anyone in his time to liberate women. He stepped into oppression so that we could live free from oppression. And even if you've been named in an oppressive way like Gavin had, Jesus comes to you and says, let me rename you. Let me give you the name that no human being can give you. Let me show you who you are in me. And then here's a the good thing that happens, men and women. We're going to turn the page here, and this is where the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope comes that Christ comes to our rescue. The thrill of hope comes, then He repurposes us to rename others. Turn to page two, and let me show you this. Look how Jesus lived this out. We're going to go to Galilee right now. If people ask you what you did, in, as you gathered as a church today, you could say, "Wow, we protested." Love that, Brian, in prayer. And then we went to Galilee. We were actually in the Middle East in Israel. In uh, Luke 4 takes place in Galilee. Jesus is in a small synagogue, maybe 30, 40 people, really rough stones. And there's the, um, the Moses seat where the rabbi would sit to read the, the scroll. And the rabbi got up from the Moses seat. He saw Jesus. He had no idea who Jesus was, but he handed the Isaiah scroll to Jesus. Jesus takes it, and this is his public announcement of ministry. He sits in the Moses seat, and he scrolls to this passage in Isaiah, and here's how Luke records it. Jesus reads, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is his whole purpose. This is what Jesus means with his life, and it's what we mean if we're in Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to do what? To proclaim, now look at all the oppressed here. And Jesus is talking about two types of oppression, spiritual oppression and physical oppression. He says he's anointed me to proclaim good news, that's the word gospel, good news to the poor, spiritually and physically. He sent me to proclaim freedom, the word freedom there in the Greek language, you want to know what it means? This is so good. Forgiveness. It's the word for forgiveness. Forgiveness. Freedom for prisoners, people caught in sin, and also people physically in prison. Recovery of sight for the blind. Then he sums it up this way to set who? Come on, it's an open book test. To set who? (laughs) Thank you, church. To set the oppressed free. Right, unbelievable. You know what the Greek word there means? I put a modern day definition for you in your notes, but then there it is right there, the exercise of unjust power or authority over a person or people, thus exploiting them in a cruel, burdensome, or inhumane manner. Even reading that causes aches to our soul, and it exists all over the place. The Greek language is is pretty, pretty graphic, too. The word oppressed in the Greek language means to press down, to hold someone down so they can't get out. It's anyone overwhelmed by the pain of life, overwhelmed by the pain of relationships that are abusive, overwhelmed by a debilitating system where they can't see a way out, overwhelmed by troubles that overpower them. See, Jesus' name defined his purpose. And in Jesus' name, he sets the oppressed free. Free. Uh, three years ago, my daughter Elizabeth, who was uh, 15 at the time, and I traveled to Washington, D.C. It was a national prayer conference for a ministry called International Justice Mission. Uh, they're the largest organization, nonprofit, that's targeting people caught in oppression. The oppression they're caught in is slavery. And in Jesus' name, they're seeing, uh, right now we have somewhere over 30 million people held in slavery against their will, both in the Bay Area and around the world. And in Jesus' name, they're being, they're being set free through legal advocacy and what have you. I've never been in a place where I wanted to vomit and where I wanted, and I had hope at the same time. I, I, I literally had a visceral reaction to being in this prayer meeting because it was in our face, not in an exploitive way we saw people who've been set free we've heard their stories we saw images but we had hope too i want you to see a two-minute video that set up the conference and to see how in jesus name uh, people believe all oppression can cease look at this watch this
1: in the beginning there was nothing no space No earth, no life, nothing. Until there was, from cells to stars, our God made matter out of nothing. He spoke, and it was good. God said, let there be, and there was, and now there is you, and now there is us precious stones crafted by the maker together in his great love but there is a crack a separation from what was to be at the hands of man slavery and violence has thrived in this world backs break in brick factories chains rub skin raw, and young girls are locked behind doors generation after generation this has continued and today 36 million lives are held in slavery but this is not what our god desires we have already seen the strength of our god we have seen him rescue the vulnerable restore the broken and rebuild communities God invites us to join Him in His work, and so we will pray for freedom, for justice, until every single man, woman and child is free, we ask for more. Until there is an end to slavery, we ask for more. Until it ends and never returns, we will keep asking for more.
0: Worth clapping for. So God saw the world he made and all its oppression. And the root of that, if you see on page two, is spiritual oppression. The root of all evil on this earth is spiritual. People separated from God. And so Christ came to offer salvation to everybody. I love the line in the Kiki video. There will always be hope for you, Kiki. Even though you run, even though you blow it, even though you you cheat on your fiancé. We can say that, that's her story in the video over four weeks. There's always hope for you in Jesus' name if you'll just turn around and turn to Christ and give your life to Him. He will give you a new and greater story. The worst news is, doesn't have to be the last news. I love that line. And then what does God do? He gathers those people who have been renamed in these things called the church, and He puts us on mission to be a force for good in the world. Uh, This summer, my family and I traveled around um, Italy and and parts of the Middle East and and walked through places where the church of Ephesus and the church of Athens and the church of Rome existed. And I was blown away that here's these small communities meeting in homes amidst these amazing uh, columns and structures and the Parthenon and, and the temples of Artemis. And God said, you're going to be a greater force than good than any one of these monuments. And they changed the world. And in Jesus' name, through the church, oppression will cease. Let me show you one verse of what is to be the norms in the church and then from the church in the community. Look at this. In a book called Galatians, in the Middle East, there's a church in Galatia. And Paul said, here's how it's to be in the church. Zero oppression. Think about that. Zero oppression oppression here's how to be in the church there's neither Jew nor gentile you know what that means no racism not only that there's not going to be slave or free you know what that means for us no classism whether you're on the streets or you came driving in a very very expensive car and go home to a big big house you're on equal footing in jesus name in the church and then it said in the church there's to be neither male nor female you know what that means No sexism. And take any other ism, ageism, uh, you can just go down and riddle your list. It's not to exist in the kingdom of God, ever. And then God says, as you scatter as a church, wherever you go, your places of employment, you bring those kingdom values wherever you go. So can you imagine, as you look out on our city, can you imagine a city where no person is treated differently because of their skin color? Where we never hear a story of Gavin's and Hannah's again happening in, on, on our peninsula. Can you imagine a city where multiculturalism is celebrated and people's ethnic heritage is not a threat, but a strand that creates this amazing mosaic and beautiful tapestry? Can you imagine a city where all people gain access to basic human rights, regardless of their socioeconomic status? Where every child is fed and clothed and educated and empowered and encouraged to dream of making a difference in the world? Can you even imagine a city where no woman is ever objectified? Where no teenage girl needs to hear a cat call when she's walking down the El Camino or in a gym, where women earn as much as men and no woman earns less because of her gender, where women's dreams are as high as any male's and femininity is actually celebrated, not objectified, at the hands of disgusting human beings. Can you imagine? I can because i've been part of this community for 20 years this community called the church this community that doesn't always get it right that takes a beating but continually holds out hope in jesus name that this will exist in our church and then through our church wherever we go to exist on and in our community again at the last gathering i sat with a group of high school guys at the end of the gathering and these guys looked at me in essence they said you know what I love this not on our watch Sequoia High School Carlmont High School Woodside High School what you talked about not on our watch and we don't know what we're gonna do but we're doing something and just being the people of God what if the adults followed suit and said the same thing in his name all oppression shall cease one day my friends that will happen in heaven in the new earth little by little we exist to eradicate it until that day okay let's pray father thank you for this hope i believe it with all my heart that when the people of god act and behave like the people of god empowered by your holy spirit all oppression will cease and our hearts break for those who are spiritually oppressed people living without christ and we can do something about that each one of us has an invitation to a Christmas Eve service where people will hear of their liberation opportunity through Christ. Use us, Lord, to see oppressed, spiritually oppressed people free. And God, we stand today as we already prayed against all those isms. And Lord, we don't even know where to begin. 30 million people in slavery. How can you use one life? But God, I'm reminded that we are the aroma of Christ. And you spread through us the fragrance of the knowledge of you. And so like those high school kids, we're just going to show up and let you empower us and take it from there. Use us as your aroma and have us speak and give us courage and help us side in Jesus' name with people on the margins. And as Gavin and Hannah said, help us to build a bridge and build a relationship. We don't know what you'll do with it, but that's your job. We just want to show up and shine. We pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... church podcast we're located at 3560 farm hill boulevard in redwood city california you can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com